Thank you for taking the time to listen to the sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this, you are challenged by the Word of God, you are built up in love, and that you are drawn more to the person and work of Jesus Christ. We want to remind you, this is never meant to substitute God's good plan for you to be present in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you do live in the North Toronto area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Our desire is that God would use this to encourage you with the hope we have in Jesus. We're starting a new series today called Short and Sweet. A little story that reminds us that God cares, God sustains, and He provides. This series is going to be in the book of Ruth, and we're going to be doing this series right up until uh, Christmas. And I was thinking today, um, when, as I was getting ready and working on the sermon a little bit at home, just to explain to you a little bit of why did we do Habakkuk, and then why did we come to Ruth, what's the, what's the heart behind that? And the reason for that is I want us to have a bigger view of God. And our elders really want that. And we think right now as we're going through such a time where things are changing so rapidly, we want to like make sure that our eyes are on God and that we have a good and deep understanding of who God is and how he works in the history of the world and in our Lives. Now, the title of the message today is God Came to Their Aid. God Came to Their Aid. Now, I was on a snowmobile one time way back uh, in the day. Some of you guys know that Kim and I, we've been in each other's lives since high school. And uh, we've known each other for a long time, and God's done some really good things in our life. But I went up north one time with Kim. We had some family friends. They had a cottage, and it was in the wintertime. And they had a snowmobile, and uh, Kim and I asked, like, can we go out on the snowmobile? And they're like, yeah, you can, you can go, no problem. And they're like, Marv, do you know how to even use a snowmobile? I'm like, nah, but whatever, we'll figure this thing out. And so Kim's driving at first, and then I, I'm begging, you know, because I kind of feel lame on the back, just kind of holding on, you know what I mean? But I'm like, can I, can I try, can I try, can I try? And she's like, fine. So eventually we switched spots. And... I get on the snowmobile and I am trying to drive it as fast as possible. And I, again, it's first time. And we're going, we're going, we're going really fast. And then I realize we are going towards what looks like bushes and rocks. That's all I can see. And so I'm sort of in my head thinking, what am I gonna do here? Because I don't actually know how to slow the thing down, but I'm like, and you, you ever like in a situation where you're getting nervous and so you actually start pressing, the, like pressing something harder? You ever feel that? So I'm nervous, I'm scared, so I actually squeeze the gas more. And she's on the back like, like, whoa, what are you doing? And so eventually, as I realize we're starting to get closer, do you know what I do? I jump off. Right, that's, that's you know how, you know she loves me if we're still together all through the, all that. So I, I just jump completely off, abandon her completely. I don't, uh, to this day, I actually don't know what happened. I just know that the thing ended up in the, in the bushes. I think it hit a rock. But I tell you that story because I want us to understand. The way I abandoned Kim that day, that, co- <laughs> that cowardly act, leaving her completely by herself on that snowmobile, abandoning her, God never does that to us. 
There's never a moment, and that's the main thing I want us to know today. God never abandons his people. There is no time ever where this happens. And our text today is going to make that so clear. And I want us to know this because it really should give us peace. It really should settle us. It should, it should bring this grounding in our life, especially now as we're, we're kind of full of fear. We're not always sure what's coming next. But again, our elders want us to be in this place of peace. And we know peace comes when we have a good understanding of God and when we're rooted in him and who he is. And I think this passage today is going to do that for us. So Ruth 1, we're going to go from verses 1 uh, to 6. It says, In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. Now, this verse, what it does is it gives us the theological description of the the time of the story. It says, in the days when the judges ruled. Now, this was a time that was really violent in the in the history of the people of Israel. There was sin everywhere. Israel had sort of turned their back completely on God and his Covenant, And so it's, it's a violent time. Israel is extremely disobedient. Shea said this in his message when he taught on a passage in Judges. Judges 21 verse 5 says, In the days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So that's the, the time, the description of when this story takes place. And I want to show you sort of the Bible history. And I think I do these a lot when we're in the Old Testament because I, I want us to understand where the story sort of fits in so you know where you are when you're reading your Bible. So again, you've seen this in the Habakkuk series, but it's important. Creation, so that's Genesis. God creates everything out of nothing. Then there's the fall. God tells Adam and Eve, here's the way to live your life. And they completely ignore him. They say, we can do a better job than you, God. And they fall into sin. And we're sort of living in that reality now. This Genesis 3, 15 world, it's broken. That's why we struggle and suffer. And then in Genesis 12, God calls Abraham, tells him to leave everything and to trust God with his life. And Abraham kind of becomes this model of faith for all of us, what it means to simply trust God, like the song uh, that, uh, that we just sung. Then there's the people of Israel grow, and then there's captivity in, in Egypt, and they're enslaved, and it's, it's, a, it's a tough time, and they're struggling, and they cry out to God, and God says, I, hear, I heard their cry, and then he, he, he comes for them, and there's the exodus, Then they make a covenant at Sinai. Now, I want us to pay attention to this because this is actually a really key theme in understanding Christianity. This covenant comes at Sinai, and I I had Shay put this on there because it's important. These are when you sort of get the Ten Commandments, but notice the rules come after the rescue. You following that? There's grace before. God saves them, and then he's like, this is how you should live. Lots of people think Christianity is just about following all these rules, and if I do this, then God will love me. But Christianity is God loves you and saves you. He shows us grace, and then he says, based on this grace, live this way in order to honor me and glorify my name and actually have good things happen in your life. The rules come after the rescue. We don't serve God to get him to love us. We serve God because he loves us already and we're secure in him. That's why we follow the Lord. Then there's a settlement in the promised land. They come in and that's under Joshua. They, they settle in and then Joshua dies. 
There's a death of Joshua. And so Ruth fits right in between that time, the time of the judges. So Ruth comes between the death of Joshua and the timing of the crowning of King Saul, who's a terrible king. So that's how it fits in. And if you look back at verse 1, it says that there was a famine in the land. Now here's how one man responded. It says, a man of Bethlehem uh, in Judah went to sojourn in the country, uh, sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife was Naomi, and the name of their two sons were Malon and Kilion. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem in Judah. They went into the country of Moab and remained there. So Bethlehem is, is, means house of bread. And so the house of bread has no bread. So that what this tells us. This is a time of trial. It's a time of hunger. It's a time of fear. And Elimelech, what he does is he takes his whole family and he's like, we're getting out of here. And he moves them to Moab. Now, the Moabites are descendants of Lot. And they're Israel's enemies. And what you have here is this man takes his family and he moves them from the familiar and he drops them into the unfamiliar. And when I think about that, that makes me think about people who immigrate to Canada. People who come to our, this country. I, I'm an immigrant. I came here in November the 9th, 1990 to a snowstorm and I wanted to get back on the plane immediately. But you, you come, the people come here and it's, they come to the, the, they leave the familiar and they come to the unfamiliar. And there's so many people who come to, a, to this country and the things that they can do in their home country, they can't do here. What they could, they could, maybe they're a doctor, they're a lawyer there and they come here and all of that is just set, they, they have to almost start fresh. And sometimes that's devastating. It's, 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 it's sort of frustrating to know how is this going to go for me? It's an act of courage and I'm sharing this with you to say, if God puts you in the path of somebody who's new to the country, it's an opportunity for you to love them. It's an opportunity for you to help them, to help them become familiar with the unfamiliar. It's this opportunity that we get as they take an act of courage. And then it says that they sojourned there in verse 1. Then it says that they remained there. Now this phrase sojourn means to be somewhere for a little while. Then there's the, the phrase settle, which actually means to resolve something, to make a decision. But the phrase remain is sort of like this in-between stage. It's a stage of indecision. It's just, it, it means to kind of just exist. So they're just in Moab, just existing. There's no decision. They're just sort of floating. And sometimes we get like that in our life. We're just, we're just existing. We know that there's a decision that we're supposed to make. We know that there's something in our life that God's saying, that needs to go. There's something that we need to be doing, but we're just sort of existing. We're not making the decision. We're just floating. I'm saying, but the thing that we need to do is be willing to step, take the step of faith to make the decision. If you know God is calling you to do something, do it. And believe by faith that he's going to take care of you. You are to trust him with the details. Remember, God never abandons his people. And so if he's calling you to do something, walk in it. Walk by faith. Indecision, just floating, can be dangerous. 
So we want to resist that. Then verse 3 says, let me find it here. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died. And she was left with her two sons. These took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah and the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And both Malon and Kilion died. So that the woman, were, the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Now, there's a parallel in this verse that you actually don't see in the English translation. But I want us to see it. It's this A-B-B-A sort of flow. This is how Hebrew works. So we don't see it, but watch this. It says, this is sort of the literal translation of this. Then died Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, and she was left with, alone without, with her two sons. They took Moabite wives, the name of the one, Orpah, the other, Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. Then died also Malon and Kilion, and the woman was left alone without her two boys and without her husband. You see that? It's the stack. And what the author is trying to get you to notice is then died, then died, and then left without, left without. The way a nutritionist tries to drive home the, the, the importance of healthy eating, the, the, the author here is driving home the utter aloneness of Naomi. That is what the text is trying to get us to pay attention to. That this woman, her life is devastated. That this is actually a nightmare. She's looking towards the future and towards old age with no kids to take care of her and no grandkids to bless her heart, to bring her joy. That's what is in front of her. And what this is for us is this is the sad reminder of death. It's a sad reminder of death. See, life in this broken world can be tragic. Sometimes it just, life can just hit you hard. It feels like the, the hard thing just comes out of nowhere. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death, like Psalm 23 says. We truly, as James says, do not know what tomorrow will bring. And do you know why? Do you know what this should do to us? You know what this, what this should move? Two things, really, it should do in our lives. It should make us appreciate life. The reality of death should make us appreciate life, the ability to go for a hike, the, the ability to enjoy a live show, to create art, to bake, to, make, to write poetry, to, to sing, to just play the, the, the keys. Sometimes I long to be able to play the keys, just to be able to tickle the ivories, as some people say, to hold a child to care for somebody who is suffering, to enjoy a glass of wine, to make somebody laugh. Don't take these things for granted. Death should open our eyes to that. Death should make us appreciate life, but death should also make us appreciate the people in our life. Think so, we, so many times we take for granted the people who are in our life. We look at them like they're always gonna be there. How would you treat and hug somebody tonight if you realize they might not be there tomorrow? How would your interaction go? It should make us appreciate the people in our life, the parents who raised us, who sacrificed so that we could have a chance, the people we work with, our loyal friend, that mentor, the person who's walked with you to help you grow and mature as a person, the children God has blessed you with. I wanna say, 
this, because we've had like a ton of babies born in our church not too long ago, and it's, I love babies. I mean, you could tell I got four of them, but I love kids. And I know that this has been a really hard time for a lot of young parents in our church, but I want you to know from the heart, my heart, the heart of our elders, that one, we're praying for you all the time in the, in the grind that parenting can be. But we also want you to know that God has blessed you with a gift. And yes, it's hard. Yes, sometimes it's a grind. Yes, it's sanctifying. But don't look at them as a burden. Appreciate them. Appreciate that God has given you this gift that some people long for. But he has given that to you. Look, to them, look at them as the blessing that they are. How about the person you're married to? So, ma- marriage can be its own grind. But look to that person and appreciate them. Maybe it's the person you want to be married to. And are you taking that person for granted? We don't take a day for granted and we don't take the people in our lives for granted. We only get so much time and so we are to make the best use of the time that God has given us. So this family, they moved to, to Moab hoping to avoid death. There was a famine, remember, that's what got them sort of up and going. They hoped to avoid death, but death showed up. See, the reality is, is that no one's immune to death. And I was talking to Vicki Baggett this week on the phone, um, Pastor Dennis's wife, and uh, my boys call her Mama V. She's just, I mean, they've kind of, Pastor Dennis kind of adopted me, uh, and so uh, you know, being a part of this family is, a, is kind of a blessing to me every now and then. Some roti just shows up. Haven't ha- hasn't happened for a while. I'm hoping she's watching this and taking it as a signal that I'm ready. But she is a huge blessing. And I know there's young ladies in our church that you're like, I just, I'm, I'm, maybe you're looking for somebody to mentor you, to walk with you. Vicki Baggett is that lady. Trust me on that. And so if you can find a way to sort of get in touch with her, if you want to talk to me, I can make that happen. But she has raised kids who are following Jesus. And like she is one of the the strongest women I know. She scares me. I'm not going to lie to you. But she's a good woman. But I'm talking to her this week on the phone because there's something going on in their family. And she's just talking, talking. And I'm sort of like almost, I'm sitting on my couch in my office, but I'm almost like shrinking because again, like she's just an older lady who I respect so much. And she just says to me, she's like, Marv, I'm not afraid of death. And I'm like, I am. She's like, I'm not afraid of death. There's no fear in her voice. She's like, I'm not afraid of death. And she's like, you know why? I know where I'm going. And sometimes death can scare us. But what Mama V does for us is she models the mindset we are to have. She shows us the right approach. See, death is in our world because of sin, but death has been defeated by our king. I'm going to just back it up because I think I heard Biso say amen, but I want everybody to say amen. Death is in the world because of sin, but death has been defeated by our king. Death has no sting over us. Watch this, Hebrews. Now since the children of flesh and blood uh, in now, that, now since the children of flesh and blood in common with Jesus also share in, in these, so that through, the, through his death, he might destroy the one holding the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who are held in 
slavery all their lives to the fear of death. The fear of death is enslaving, but the fear of death has been destroyed. The next time you find yourself feeling fearful, like I'm, I'm, I'm worried about dying, remember death has been defeated. The Bible says it has no power, it has no sting in the life of the Christian. See, even in death, Jesus does not abandon his people. He holds on to them. He says we are in his hand and nobody can snatch us out, not even death. Jesus actually promises us more life. He promises us that we will live. Here it is in John. Jesus said to her, he's talking to Martha, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Watch this. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Death has no power over us. We will live. Now, I want to say to the unbeliever, though, that death has all kinds of power over you. And I don't say that to be disrespectful. I say that to be truthful. All you got to do is look at the news and see how terrified people are. And I'm not saying that to say we should just be reckless. So please understand me on that. But death has people in, in its grip. And if you're not in Christ, you need to understand that that is your reality. But freedom is available. Freedom from the, from the fear of death comes through faith in Jesus Christ, believing in the one who died and in his death defeated death and sin. And when we put our trust in him, there's this beautiful freedom that comes to our life where we look to death and we realize that when we die, a new story begins. Watch this, C.S. Lewis. If you've not read the Chronicles of Narnia, you should. In the last battle, he says, all their life in this world. He's talking about the, the kids. And all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story no one on earth had read, which goes on forever. The great story goes on forever. Watch this. In which every chapter is better than the one before. Only joy unending. It only gets better and better and better as we are with Jesus, with our Father in glory, in joy. The, every chapter is better than the one before. That is what we look to. And so we don't fear death. We understand it. We realize that it's there. We don't live recklessly. But we know that when it comes... There's only a better story that we walk into. And so Naomi, her heart is completely broken. And in the middle of her grief and pain, God shows up. Look at verse 6. Then she arose with her daughter-in-law to return from the country of Moab. So homegirls going home. For she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. 
God, the text says that God visited his people. Like a big brother who comes to the aid of his little brother who's getting beaten up. God comes to the aid of his people. There it is again, what I've been saying to you. God does not abandon his people. He shows up. See, God remembered his people in Egypt when they're in slavery. And he remembers them in the famine. This is the first time in the story that God is mentioned. And it comes, and we're told of his compassion, his care, and his grace. He gives them food. See, God is a provider. Think of Adam and Eve. They're they're ashamed of their nakedness. What does God do? He gives them clothes. The people of Israel are trapped in slavery. And what does he do? He sends Moses. And then Moses is like, I'm afraid. I don't know how to talk. I'm not eloquent. And he's like, fine, your brother will go with you. And he sent Aaron with him. There's Noah and his family living in a wicked and sinful time. And God provides an ark for him. They're in the wilderness. They're hungry. They're crying. They're complaining. And God's like, here comes manna, frosted flakes, if you actually pay attention to the way it's described. There's just falling from the sky. Israel stuck in sin struggling, turned away from God. And what does God do? He sends prophets to call them to repentance. God is a provider. He always comes through for his people. We are stuck in sin and death. We have no hope. And what does God do? He sends Jesus. God is a provider. When there's a need, God meets the need. He looks at us and he doesn't just turn his back. He looks with compassion and care, and he helps. If there's something going on in your life right now, you have to understand that you are to fall on your knees and call on God to help. He is a provider. He will help his people. He does not abandon us. See, Bethlehem is called House of Bread, and this house is about to be restocked like a fridge after a Costco run. God is going to bless Bless his people. And what this is, is a subtle reminder of God's grace. It's a subtle reminder of God's grace. This news puts wind in the sails of Naomi. And it it, it moves her home. Look at verse 6 again. It says, then she arose. She's like, it's time to go. We got to get out of here with her daughter-in-law to return to the country of Moab. And you got to understand, this is not by chance. This doesn't happen by chance that she hears this news. God is the one who made sure that she heard it. Again, he's showing Israel grace by giving food and he's showing Naomi grace. This is sunshine breaking through her dark clouds, not by accident. God is bringing her home because he has all kinds of plans to bless her. And she doesn't even know it yet. And sometimes in our life when things are tough, things are dark, and we're struggling, we don't understand that somewhere up the road God has a plan to really bless you in a way that you can't even see yet. And sometimes when we're struggling and when things are hard, we are even blind to the fact that God is already blessing us. And all we need to do is just kind of slow down. Just Here's a good habit to develop. Just once in the week, just stop and just review your life. 
Biso is in my small group, and a couple weeks ago, we were, our guys were together on screen, and honestly, what was going on was just a lot of whining, primarily led by this guy. And then Biso just said, you know what? Like, yes, things are tough. But I just, you know, I just took a look at my life this last week, and here are like a, a, a whole bunch of things that God is doing and being good to me. And the moment he said that, everything just changed. And everyone on the call could put, point to something and, and see the goodness of God even in the time that is tough. And so it's just a good habit to develop, to just slow down, to review your life. Just write down, what are some things that I should be thankful for? Because the moment you do that, what starts to happen is you stop complaining. I stop complaining. And you see and you're reminded of the goodness of God. Even in the struggle, God is blessing us. And sometimes we just have to step back and review it. And then we also have to just be patient for what he's going to do up the road because he is good and he does not abandon us or leave us hanging. And so this gift of rain and food shows us God's grace, but it also shows us God's providence. Cheyenne said this to me, grace is only possible because of the providence of God. That guy is smart. Elimelech, his name, you know what it means? My God is king. That's what his name means. Because God is king, he is guiding all things at all times. That is providence. The food came because God gave it. Naomi is going home because God made sure she heard it, that he is working. It's his good providence. And I'm telling you this because the doctrine of providence is a key theme in the book of Ruth. You want to understand it, get a good understanding of providence. All through this book, we are going to see God's guiding hand. Listen to John Piper on this. It says, the providence of God is his purposeful sovereignty by which he will be completely successful in the achievement of his ultimate goal for the universe. God's providence carries his plan into action, guides all things towards its ultimate goal, and leads to the final consummation. What does that quote tell you? You can't stop God. You can't stop him from what he is doing in the life of his people and in the world. Nothing gets in the way. God's rule is absolute. God's providence tells us that God is involved. God is not on the bench hoping to get in the game. That's not how it works. He is active, involved at all times. Working every day. Every day is a day of providence. Every day is guided by the hand of God. And we need this right now. Because the times that we're living in, you know what it's doing? It's reminding us of how little control we have. I'm sitting on my porch, the other, uh, uh, what a Friday with Kim. We're watching the premier make an announcement. And you know what I feel? I'm like, I have no control over what that guy's about to say. And whatever he's about to say, I'm not even sure there's much that I can do to change it. Over and over, we're being reminded because God is good, he wants us to feel how not in control we are so that we would stop depending on ourselves and start depending on him at all times. And we're getting this loving reminder, and I know it's hard. 
this loving reminder from God not to trust ourselves, not to despair, not to just look and think things are all out of control. He's like, I am in control. Even now, this is a reminder. Even now, this is grace from God, reminding of us of his providence, that he is in control. Because I know you are like me and you feel like you're not in control and you're not. We are not. But our Father is our gracious loving Father. I'm telling you about the doctrine of providence because I think there's some things that it does in our life. Here they are. It helps us to be patient during adversity. Again, it's not all out of control. We're not on a sinking ship going nowhere. It's being guided by our Father. And yes, there are moments where we don't fully understand. But He is guiding. It makes us to be grateful in times of plenty. Everything that I have in my life is from God. What do you have that you did not receive, the Bible says? Everything is from God. And so we look to him with thankfulness, grateful. I did nothing. He gave. It gives us boldness in our witness. Think about this. To see somebody come to Christ isn't on us. It's on God. One of the things, if you read the book of Acts, one of the things that you see is that the, 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 the disciples are bold. And why are they bold in the midst of persecution and suffering and struggling? Why are they bold? Because they're like, God is in control. They say, sovereign God, look upon their threats and make us bold. Bold in our witness, not afraid of man, but filled with fear and awe of God so that we live in such freedom that we don't hide our faith, that we live with courage. Because again, if the worst thing happens to us, what happens? We walk into a better story. And so we're bold in our witness. It also gives us confidence in the power of God. God is in control. Think about it, there's a famine and he's like, now it's time to rain. And what does nature do? It starts raining. There's a famine. He's like, now it's time for us to feed those people who I love. And they're fed. The power of God. You can't stop God. All powerful. And this last one, it should give us comfort and security about our salvation. We're going to glory. And it should settle us. I share this because I want, I want our church so much to be rooted firmly in who God is and how he works in history so that we would not be people filled with fear, but people who are full of faith, who trust their God, who know that he is working, that he is gracious, that he is good, that he never, never abandons his people. And that because of him at all times, no matter what, no matter what I'm facing, no matter what I experience, it is well with my soul. That all is well at all times. Because my father is not on the bench. He's in the game. And he's the best player. Stand with me as we pray. Father, we, we settle, Lord God, into your good providence. We settle, Lord God, into your kindness, Lord, to us, that we, Lord God, are never abandoned, that we never, God, have to 
depend only upon ourselves, Lord, but we can depend on you. Lord, I pray that this text would have spoken, Father, to our souls. I pray that it would have had brought peace to those who are lacking it. I pray, Father, that it would have brought boldness and confidence, Lord God, to those who need it, who are fearing man more than they fear their God. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would have seen that you are a provider, that there's ways that you are working and blessing us now. Open our eyes to it, Lord, that there is ways that you are going to bless us, God, in the future and that we simply need to trust you and wait on your goodness. Father, we live in a world where death is real, but death has no power over us. Help us, Lord God, not to be reckless, but also not to be fearful, to live lives of faith and trust in your goodness and your care. God, thank you for this word. Thank you that you wrote this passage. Thank you that you knew in this moment that we would need it in these days. Your word is always relevant. It's always ready and up to the times. Help us to rest in it and to rest in our gospel reality that in Christ it is well with our souls. Thank you, God, that you are good. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit HopeTorontoNorth.com.